Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has the goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 93 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we are returning to some of the foundational topics of the show, outdoor gear and equipment. If you've read the book, or at least seen it, then you'll know a big chunk of the text revolves around product materials, gear picks, gear repair, and gear needs. So for this episode, we're covering a topic that I've wanted to delve into since the start of the podcast, how to identify your gear needs. To give us some insights into how we can all make better choices, I sat down to chat with Alicia McDerris. Alicia is the founder of TerraDrift.com and the site's accompanying YouTube channel, where she and her husband Josh share gear reviews, outdoorsy how-tos, guides, and more, including a full backpacking course for beginners. She's also a freelance journalist and photographer who specializes in writing about sustainable travel and outdoor adventure for publications like Popular Science, Backpacker, Outside, Road Trippers, and more. Just a reminder before we get to the interview that if you want to stay up to date with the latest podcast episodes and our YouTube content, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com. And if you've been enjoying our content, there are two major ways that you can support us. The first one is to donate directly to The Outdoor Minimalist on Venmo. These funds are strictly used to pay the editing staff and it helps keep all of our content free for everyone. If a monetary donation doesn't make sense at this time, the next best thing to do is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help new listeners discover us, and I read them all, so it's also a great way to share feedback directly with me. Thank you for joining me today, Alicia. I am excited to sit down and chat with another writer, especially when it is about a topic that we are both so passionate about, so I already know that the conversation is going to be awesome. So to lead into the discussion, I would just love to get to know you a little bit more and um, learn how you got into outdoor recreation and the outdoor industry and kind of how it fits into your life now. Absolutely. Yes. Love the outdoors. It's my happy place. My dad actually took me backpacking for the first time when I was about 10. And even before that, my parents were taking me camping and hiking and you know, like road trips all over the U.S. to mostly go camping and hiking. So I was introduced to the outdoors very young age, always enjoyed playing outdoors. You know, my parents, like I'm sure a lot of other parents, wouldn't let me complain about being bored. I had to go outside and play. And of course, as a teenager, I had a little angsty period, if you will, where I didn't want to do anything (laughs) that I grew up doing. After that kind of fizzled out, as it will, I just refound sort of my place in the outdoors and started spending more time hiking and camping and backpacking. And the more I did it, the more I loved it. And when I first started Terra Drift, it was intended to be like a budget travel blog. And then as I got into it a little bit, I was like, what am I doing when I travel? It's playing outside. I want to play outside when I travel. I want to, I want to travel to backpack and to hike and explore these natural wonders, right? So this needs to be an outdoor blog. <laughs> So there's there's still the travel component to it, but it's like travel for the sake of playing outdoors in other places. 
more than like, go here and do this. But, you know, like, hey, guess what? Melbourne, Australia has lots of fun things to do outside. That's right. <laughs> or like I'm headed to Cyprus later this summer. And so let's go check out all the most amazing hikes in Cyprus. And yeah, that's as I got into more of that, I also became a gear junkie. So I just really love outdoor gear and I love learning about it and what makes uh, different items unique and what sets different gear manufacturers apart and how it's all sustainably done or not sustainably done, as is often the case. And I love sharing that with others and like giving honest opinions and reviews. I love it when people ask me for hiking boot recommendations and what types of backpacks I love. So that very quickly became a component to Terra Drift as well. It's like, let's tell people about the coolest gear out there that also is sustainable because that's our focus. So yeah, that's, that's kind of Terra Drift in a nutshell. Yeah. And I noticed when I was looking at the website that there is kind of like a big focus on sustainability as well, which I really liked. And we kind of aligned on that. And to kind of back up a little bit, how did you first get into writing and into this field in general? Oh, yes. Well, I was writing like short fiction in middle school. And I think in middle school is when I first decided I wanted to be a writer. And at the time that was like, I wanted to write fiction and I have given that a shot a little bit, but you know what pays the bills is journalism. (laughs) And so, and I say pay the bills. And I mean that very loosely because any journalist out there knows what journalism pays these days. But I started freelancing for little local small town papers right out of high school and just really enjoyed that and loved talking to people and learning about what they did and, you know, how they operated their business and like what was going on around town. And from there decided like, oh, travel writing is a thing. I want to do that. You know, I want to be on the cover, not the cover necessarily, but the pages of Backpacker Magazine and outside. And that's what I want to do on a travel and I want to write about travel in the outdoors. So I just kind of gradually made my way very, very gradually. (laughs) Um, Kind of, you know, like starting to write for smaller niche magazines that were travel oriented in like Florida or Texas. And as I got articles placed in those, I started getting confidence to pitch bigger magazines and start writing for the backpackers and the outsides and the BBC travel type things and, and that sort of thing. And just kind of very slowly worked my way here. And the Terra Drift the blog was just sort of like a part of that to prove to myself that I was an outdoor writer and I could do this and to help other people do the same. Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds very much like a freelance writer's journey because <laughs> I freelanced for like six years and I'm like, yep, d- yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So then when you kind of started to establish Terra Drift then, and it was gaining more notoriety, getting more traffic, is that when you started to integrate more gear testing into it? I think it the gear testing actually came first, but it was, again, very slowly because what gear manufacturer wants to give somebody with a YouTube following of like 50 people free gear, right? to review. So we would borrow gear from friends or ask for gear for like birthdays and Christmas and then review that stuff. Or like, oh, you know, our hiking buddy got new trekking poles that were really fancy and expensive. Hey, can we borrow those real quick and just like test them out and do a quick review or anytime we had to buy new shoes for ourselves, stuff like that. And so it started very small. 
And I think the gear reviews are actually what helped build out the channel because I am not the only gear junkie out there. (laughs) So people found us from that and were like, ah, we can learn about gear from these guys and with a big emphasis on sustainability. So I hope that we have become the place that people who care about sustainable gear know that they can come and find information about that gear. Yeah, it is really nice that you have more of that focus where obviously you're still analyzing like functionality and durability and all those things, but to be able to analyze from a more sustainable end instead of just kind of what we generally gravitate towards, like, is it new? Does it work really well? And is it cheap? Like, Mm -hmm. is it affordable? Not necessarily cheap, but affordable for my budget. (laughs) So when you're looking at gear, no matter necessarily what you are reviewing, which I would guess it's like highly focused on backpacking equipment, or do you review other sports as well? It's mostly backpacking and hiking gear, but we also like there will be camping stuff, you know, like big tents that you wouldn't take backpacking, but, you know, love to take camping, like car camping. I mean, you know, occasionally we'll do stuff like trail running. We just shot a trail runner review and other little things like mountain biking because people who are into hiking and backpacking, you know tend to dabble mm-hmm. <laughs> in other things. So we, you know, we want to be a source where they're like, oh yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, like mountain biking stuff here too, that I can check out. Yeah. More generalist type yeah. things. Awesome. So when you're looking at the the gear, whatever it might be, what would be kind of the top things that you identify to be like, yeah, this is a quality product. Mm. It's a great question. I mean, there are so many things to look at, especially from a sustainability standpoint. I mean, the first thing we're going to do, we want to check and see what durability looks like. Do the materials, does the manufacturing of the product seem durable? Like, is the stitching solid on a backpack? Does the material seem flimsy? Is it going to hold up? Because I mean, that's kind of like the first level of testing a sustainable product. Like, is it going to last? Is this thing going to end up in a landfill in six months to a year? Or are you going to be able to keep this for years and years and years? So that we look for recycled components, like how much of it is made of recycled materials, whether it's fabric or buckles or poles or whatever. A good warranty is really important I love to focus on brands that offer a solid warranty, usually like a lifetime thing where, you know, like Osprey will repair, replace any pack from any generation as long as you have it, which is really awesome because things go wrong. Like you, you poke holes in your pack with your trekking poles or you step on it with crampons on your boots in the winter, you poke holes in things. And so knowing that you can send a product into the company and get it repaired instead of having to a spend the money to buy a whole new thing and b chuck that in a landfill and then buy a whole new thing (laughs) is really awesome and so i always recommend like if you're looking for new gear check what the warranty is because it could make the piece of gear last ages longer and we have used those warranties before we've sent in like climate inflatable sleeping pads to get patched that were leaking and backpacks and all kinds of things so 
that's really important. But we also check for certifications, like is clothing blue sign approved, which is a certification that talks about like not only how it's manufactured, but like what kind of chemicals are in the materials and that sort of thing, like where they came from. So it's not like the end all be all of this means a product is sustainable, but it's a starting point. Just like, you know, if something is certified climate neutral is is a good sign that a company cares about the environment. So we look for stuff like that. And then we look for the absence of harmful chemicals, you know, like PFCs and PFAS. And just want to make sure that like fire retardants in tents, we want to avoid those if possible. But those are a lot of the big ones. Like we want to make sure that we're investing in quality products as often as we can, as opposed to like throw away, like I'm going to use this for one trip and then I'm, I'm never going to use it again because it's not that great, whatever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A lot of those things are similar things that I look for. And because I am constantly looking at outdoor products and like reading about them, I think that I don't always consider that that's not how people spend their entire day, but it's like what I do for work. So like, where do you access this information? Oh man, that's a great question because <laughs> I think the same thing, like my friends have called me out before I'll throw things like, oh, you know, like I was, I was testing this, this rain jacket or, but it didn't have PFC free DWR. And she's just like, stop, stop, stop right there. What are those words that you just said? <laughs> so yeah, I think when you're in the industry, like it's really easy to get caught up in this stuff, but I think usually brand websites are a good place to start because if they're a good, reputable company, they're going to disclose a lot of stuff on their website. So they should have like materials listed in the product description. They should talk about if they don't mention PFCs or PFOS or the absence of them, that's usually kind of a red flag for me. I'm like, ah, wait a minute, though. This is the rain jacket. And... I would like to know what's in it. Yeah. Anytime <laughs> that it says like water resistant or waterproof coating, and then they mm -hmm. don't identify how it became waterproof. Yeah. 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 That's it. Mm. <laughs> mm. I don't like it. But yeah, yeah. websites, I, I turn to a website's like sustainability page. Like I, when I go to a brand site, I will look for some sort of page or link that says sustainability or about us or like our commitment to planet earth or something like that. And I will read through their commitment to sustainability. If they're really on top of it, they may even have like a sustainability report that shows you what they have been doing over the years to decrease their footprint or make better products, things like that. But also like reviews getting on and if you just Google, you know, outdoor research jacket, PFAS or <laughs> PFC free, the North Face, like you'll probably get some articles popping up that are going to explain you like, oh, well, this brand just decontinued the use or this one is still using it in these jackets, but not these jackets, that sort of thing. So sometimes, unfortunately, it does require a little digging, depending on how specific you want to get. But I find it pays off because then you you really know whether or not what you're investing in is aligned with your values, basically. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of outdoor gear does cost a pretty penny. And so you <laughs> are investing in this. And I mean, unless you have a large amount of disposable income, then maybe you don't care. But 
I think a lot of times if you're going to spend $600 on a tent, you probably want to make sure that it's not only going to work, but it aligns with your values, like you said. So when you're looking at all that information and kind of like doing your research, trying to decide and narrow down your picks, I know you already mentioned one thing that we could maybe count as a red flag, or I don't know, what do you, what do you want to call it? But what are some other red flags that you've noticed over time where you're like, um, I'm not so sure about that? <laughs> Oh, they're, they're definitely red flags. I think the first is when I go to a brand's website and there isn't a page about any sort of sustainability. I don't like it when I have to dig for it. Like if I have to go to about us and then like some sort of one paragraph on sustainability is like way down hidden in the bottom corner or something. But if there's no info at all about a brand's commitment to sustainability or their path or their goals on their website, that's kind of a first red flag. I mean, a website, a brand can have goals, right? And it can mean nothing. <laughs> but if they're not even pretending that they have any sort of commitment or they're not even pretending to try, it's not a great sign. They probably don't care as much about the sustainability of their products as I would like them to. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away slowly from that one. <laughs> Also, it's the specificity of claiming that something is sustainable because the question is then like, how? If you're saying, okay, well, this is our more sustainable product. How is it more sustainable? What's the footprint? Can you tell me? Like I know Gregory packs, they don't have a ton of stuff that is made of fully recycled materials like some of the other brands like Osprey or something does. But when you go on their website and you do locate a bag that has like some recycled materials, they'll tell you right on there, this one uses 51% or this bag's footprint is 51% lower than our last edition of this bag because of this, this, and this. And that's a good sign because they're showing you their work basically <laughs> and proving that what they are saying is true because there's a lot of greenwashing out there. You know, everybody wants to call themselves sustainable and say they have sustainable products, but it's much harder to back up that claim. So it's like looking for the details and finding out, okay, like how do you know that this is more sustainable and what are you working towards that sort of thing? So, you know, definitely that. I also hate it when product pages don't list all of the materials some people are very evasive about it. And I don't like that. I'm like, I, yeah. I'm not asking for your recipe here. <laughs> I am. I don't, I'm asking for the recipe. Well, well, <laughs> I mean, like to the point where I'm not going to make it myself. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I do want to know like how much, how much polyester is in it? How much of that is recycled polyester? Whether or not there is a, this one's big for me. If there is a leather tag, you need to disclose that fun fact about me and my husband, Josh, who runs territories with me, we're vegan. So there's nothing that makes us more irritated than ordering a piece of gear or getting something into test and it's got a leather patch on it or like a leather washer or something like that. And it wasn't disclosed online. Like, we don't want this. <laughs> we're sending it back. <laughs> so like, yeah, that's a red flag when, when people are just like vaguely mentioning materials and not being specific about it. I also really hate it when brands just like are kind of evasive. And when I ask questions, uh, because you can almost always find a contact on their website. If you have more questions about gear, you can go to their contact us page, be like, hey, I have a question about this thing. Does it contain this materials? Is it recycled? Blah, blah, blah. And they will usually get back to you when you do that. Every once in a while, 
the response I've gotten is like, oh, we focus on making durable products Mm -hmm. and that's all. And I'm like, that's literally the least you can do (laughs) is make durable products. So what else do you got? So I, that's a great start, but from there I want more. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of also like a little, little red flag. I'm like, "Mm, you're not trying though. (laughs) So I don't know. You can, you can read people by their responses. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes you just don't get a response at all. Mm-hmm. So, and that's very telling in and of itself. But yeah, if they are really like exceptionally vague about things, I'm like, okay, you can give me more information than that. And mm-hmm. there is a reason that you're not. So yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I think, I mean, in terms of like the average consumer, they don't necessarily have as much of like a big picture view of kind of like all the things that are available in the industry. So would you be able to talk a little bit about maybe current industry trends that are happening within outdoor rec gear that maybe is helping us move towards more sustainable products? Yeah, I think the biggest one right now revolves around PFAS, which are like the, oh gosh, I can never remember what it stands for. Because PFCs was what it was for a while. And they've kind of changed it to PFAS to be more all-encompassing of the plurofluorinated chemicals <laughs> or something. I, good Lord, I can't ever pronounce it correctly. They're basically forever chemicals. They're often in waterproofing for like rain jackets and tents and stuff like that. So it's a good sign if you see something that already says it's PFC free, but these things, these PFAS are in a lot of outdoor gear that claims to be waterproof still. That's shoes, backpacks, rain jackets, tents, fabric items, basically. And we're trending toward that being not okay anymore, which is really great. REI is working toward I think banning products that contain PFAS from their stores. So in future years, they're not even going to carry that stuff. There are more overarching, like big picture bans on PFAS. So whether or not REI carries them, like nobody's going to be allowed to use them or sell them in certain states anyway, as it stands right now. I think it's a couple of states are banning them. So, I mean, there will still be workarounds for brands that want to make that stuff, but I think people are getting the picture that it's no bueno. And so they're starting to remove those chemicals in exchange for cleaner, better waterproofing agents, which is really great. So that's kind of like on the good news side of things. (laughs) But a lot more brands are also making gear out of like recycled synthetic materials, which is awesome. And a lot of brands are working towards figuring out circularity and like how to recycle the products that they sell, which is great. Like I think Hydro Flask just launched a program that you can send in your stainless steel, it like double walled insulated bottles and they will recycle them for you and give you a small store credit. So you're getting rewarded for, you know, recycling because those things you can't just toss in the bin usually. And they're taking care of the recycling of that. And then like Houdini, which is a a European sportswear brand that I really love, and they're highly committed to sustainability. They want you to mail back in your old clothing when you don't want it anymore, or it's all tattered and you're done with it. Instead of throwing it away, they want you to mail it into them so that they can figure out how to recycle it. Like On Running is doing something similar with shoes, or they're like working on that which is really cool. So there are a lot of really cool projects in the works. And I think that's just going to continue 
because manufacturers are realizing what consumers want. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it has been really nice to see that more companies are leaning towards those things and making those changes and are pretty vocal about their reasons why and stuff like that. And when it comes to like products in the outdoor industry, we do talk a lot about textiles for a good reason, because so many things involve textiles that we do use. And a big discussion with that is natural versus synthetic fibers. And I've talked about that with a bunch of different guests on the show, like the pros and cons of them, like greenwashing and recycling, like polyester, like all that stuff. So if people haven't listened to episodes earlier than this, then I recommend going back and checking out some of the textile ones if that interests you. But I do want to talk a little bit about if there are are flaws in comparing natural fibers to synthetics when we're talking about using them for outdoor products. Mm, Definitely. You know, it's such a a difficult comparison to make because there's, you know, natural materials and synthetics so different. But I think the flaw in this thinking, the biggest flaw in, in the argument for natural materials is that they're biodegradable, which is mostly true. (laughs) But if it's not organic cotton or organic hemp, then you're looking at a lot of chemicals still going into the ground and a slower breakdown rate. And the growth of those materials is still very toxic. Cotton is actually, uh, conventional cotton is one of the dirtiest crops on the planet just from use of pesticides. And so just like conventional cotton clothing, you're thinking like it's a better choice because it's biodegradable and all of this, but we're forgetting the beginning of the life of cotton a lot of the times and what it took to get to that t-shirt or the pair of shorts or whatever. So it's really important to think about the whole life cycle of a product when we're talking about sustainability. And it's not a black and white thing, right? Like nothing is these days. But when, like if I'm choosing cotton clothing, I try as often as possible to opt for organic cotton materials, which is more expensive and means that I buy less stuff, which is also good and sustainable. (laughs) But synthetics, obviously, also not the greatest, like you mentioned, hard to impossible to recycle. Currently, I think we're well on our way to being able to recycle those materials, but it still might be a while. You know, when I go for synthetics, I am choosing materials that are made out of recycled plastic bottles or something that mean that virgin materials didn't have to be created. We took something that was already in the waste stream and turned it into something else, which is, you know, again, making the better choice. And of course, cotton is, (laughs) you know, they say cotton kills in the outdoor industry, right? Because mostly in the winter, like in the summer, I'll I'll hike in cotton, like a cotton t-shirt or a tank top or something all day. Who cares if I'm just doing a day hike, I'm going to get sweaty, whatever. But if it's cold outside, your cotton gets wet. It doesn't dry, especially if you're backpacking. It's now heavy, wet, and you're cold because cold clothing and sweat and water conducts heat away from the body like 24% faster, I think is the statistic. So that's why they say cotton kills is because you're going to freeze to death. (laughs) So it's also not the perfect choice for every adventure. But you also don't need like a super high-tech synthetic shirt for every adventure. Like if you're going on a day hike in Arizona, eh, cotton's fine, (laughs) you know? And then of course there's wool, which is a whole other argument. (laughs) 
Yeah, we can we can jump right into wool and down. I mean, we mm. both have probably similar perspectives on mm. wool and down. And I do know that there often is a big push for a lot of companies in the outdoor industry to have like the responsible wool standard or responsible down standard. And so when we're talking about whatever they're qualifying as ethical wool and down, what are kind of their benefits versus a synthetic product so like a sleeping bag that has rds insulation versus a synthetic insulation and is it possible to do those things ethically mm, great question <laughs> we talk about this all the time in our house <laughs> and with our friends because we have strong opinions about it but other outdoorists have very strong opinions in the other direction it's one of those things because, again, we are vegan and part of the reason we are vegan is animal welfare. Like we don't want to use any products that an animal had to suffer or die for in order to let us recreate outdoors. So that is our very strong stance about that. We don't own any down or wool personally. We might have like two pairs of wool socks left over from, you know, 20 years ago before we were vegan. But that is it. So when we hear ethical down or ethical wool, we think it's a load of crap <laughs> because we've seen videos of sheep being shorn and that sort of thing. And it's not a fun thing to watch. It's a little bit heartbreaking. So we don't like it and aren't sure how any of it can be classified as ethical. But then the word ethical very much depends on your personal ethics, right? So that's not something I can tell you is absolutely 100% not ethical because it's, again, very gray area depending on where you fall on the spectrum. Down, likewise, is ethical down is part of the definition of that is the bird can't be alive when it's down is harvested. So if it's not alive, then it's dead. <laughs> and to my mind, I think, well, that doesn't sound very ethical at all because, hmm. <laughs> We killed a creature so that I could have a cozy sleeping bag. That said, you know, I am not going to judge anyone for wearing wool or down because wool is a fantastic natural fabric for wicking moisture and it dries quickly and it's going to keep you warm. It's a great insulator. Although I did just read recently that alpaca fiber is even better at shedding moisture and has better insulating properties. Not that I'm, again, endorsing alpaca fiber because it's still an animal that needs sheared. Just putting it out there, what I've learned recently. But yeah, wool is very good and it's natural. And so wool is a really solid insulator. And it's not like cotton, which you put pesticides on. So you've got something that does biodegrade more naturally. And, you know, if if you're getting wool, especially from like a tiny little farm down the road that has like a dozen sheep and they're taking care of them and you're able to find somebody to use that wool to make a sweater for you, then I am all for it. <laughs> but because it is such a solid material in the outdoors, it's such high performing material. It's very difficult to sit here and say all outdoorists stop using wool because you will. That's just picking a fight. <laughs> yeah. But it's similar with down because down is extremely lightweight and it's extremely packable. And so 
right now, like a synthetic jacket, the lightest, most packable synthetic jacket that I have is almost always going to be heavier and less packable than a down jacket. We are getting very close. I think I say we a lot, like I'm on the teams designing these things and like scientifically developing synthetic materials. But it's just because I feel like I'm in this fight. I want it to happen. <laughs> Manufacturers are getting, again, close to something that can replicate wool and down in like the weight department and the performance department. That's a, there, there are definite downsides to like down because it is useless if it gets wet. And so, you know, there's there are pros and cons. And especially in the winter, I'm like, how are people taking down bags into the snow? Oh, my gosh. Like, I yeah. am not I am too clumsy for that nonsense. <laughs> like there, is there have been some everywhere. developments with waterproofing down, which mm -hmm. seem promising. I haven't mm -hmm. personally tried it because I don't use down bags, really, mm -hmm. unless I like need to try it for work or something. But mm -hmm. that seems promising. I mean, it's yes. still not a fail safe by any means. Mm -hmm. But yes, there, there are definitely options. So it's also like from a, you know, like people like to compare again, back to the wool and down are natural materials, right? So they should biodegrade. However, the wool and the down are usually inside other materials, mm -hmm. not always wool, but down. Down is almost always going to be inside of synthetic materials in a jacket. So you've already got the synthetic materials in your, your sleeping bag, or your jacket. So it's not like you've avoided synthetics altogether. I think a lot of the arguments also don't look at, again, the beginning of the life cycle of synthetics versus down and wool. Like there isn't a perfect delineation between this one's sustainable and this one's not. Like sheep, especially less ducks and birds, but contribute massive amounts of greenhouse gases just through surviving and consume a ton of acres of food that could be used to grow trees or food for humans. And so the beginning of wool's life is a lot dirtier, planetarily speaking, than I think we think about a lot. And it's another one of those important things to consider. But Again, if I am choosing synthetics, I am going to look for something made of recycled plastic bottles or something like that in an effort to create as few new and virgin resources as possible. Yeah, I feel like the main argument that I hear a lot of times, especially when people are comparing like down to a synthetic installation, they are saying, well, the synthetic is going to shed microplastics like continually throughout its life. And it will never biodegrade because they just like break down over and over again. And as far as I know, when it comes to insulation, I have not seen very much in terms of like recycling programs. I see it mostly for like clothing textiles where they can more so strip the fibers apart and then like reintegrate them into new clothing. So I would love to just hear your thoughts on that. And if you have heard of any insulation recycling programs, that would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I wish. Oh, somebody's got to be working on it. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And if they are, I need them to email me. Um, <laughs> but there are a few brands kind of toying with biodegradable insulation made out of bio-based materials. And they aren't in very much stuff yet. In fact, a lot of it, I think, is really just in some like niche European brands. But my husband does have a jacket that has synthetic insulation made of biodegradable 
materials that are bio-based. And I am looking forward to seeing more of that because yeah, there's not a lot of places that you can send in insulation right now that, I mean, like worn wear from Patagonia, you can send jackets back in and they will like repair them and resell them. So if it's not in absolute garbage shape, (laughs) there are ways to like repair and resell products, which I am all about repairing and then either keeping or reselling or reusing gear, which I think you are too. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with gear. Like it's, there is no such thing as like truly sustainable gear. I mean, like if we could all just dress in organic cotton and (laughs) wear organic hemp backpacks and tents made out of organic cotton waterproofed with plant-based wax. Yeah. Like (laughs) maybe we would get there. It'd be really um, heavy, but we would do it. It'd be real heavy and very uncomfortable. I am curious about the insulation that you're talking about, though. Do you know if that is made from some type of like bioplastic or is it more of like a wood pulp that they were able to manipulate? I believe it's a it's like it's a bioplastic okay. you know, made of castor beans or whatever weird stuff, flax. I, <laughs> I think it's Primaloft, actually, that, oh, that is developing okay. it. Okay. Um, then I, okay. Yeah. Then I think I might know what you're talking about then. It's still very... Like, it's still very hard to find in gear. And so I'm like wondering when... They're probably just testing it, like seeing yeah. if it takes... When's it coming out, guys? I want it. I want more. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, maybe you'll get to try it under embargo yeah. or something. Okay, yeah. so you mentioned a little bit about like, obviously there are no like truly, truly sustainable pieces of gear, which is why on this show, especially, we really harp on the idea of reducing your mm-hmm. consumption and using what you already have. And so beyond what to notice when you are shopping or buying gear, whether it is new or used, because you can apply it to both situations, how do you identify what you actually need? Oh man, that's a tough one. (laughs) I know, kind (laughs) of really hard to answer. I need all of it. Seriously, I have a problem. Like I see a new backpack, I'm like, oh, I need that. I need it. I have an opposite problem. Like (laughs) since I've entered the like gear testing realm of writing, They're like, oh, do you want to test this? And I'm like, no, actually, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> there, There is, to be fair, a lot of that as well. Like, I will look at a pack and be like, that doesn't look innovative in any way. So, nah. <laughs> but when I see something and I'm like, I can tell through the computer screen how perfect that is suited for this type of adventure. And I'm like, I gotta have it. <laughs> I want to test it. So yeah, there's definitely a little bit of both. I think all of us need to have like get into the mindset of thinking that there are so many more things that we don't need than we do need. And I just traveled to Portugal, for instance, and I'm wandering around these very isolated little villages and looking just at not outdoor gear related stuff, but at the things in these teeny tiny isolated villages in the middle of nowhere, they have repurposed into something else like plastic cording that they're now using for a dog leash or uh, shower curtains that they're hanging up on their balcony that, you know, like were maybe mildewy or something, but they put it on their balcony to like block the rain and the sun, just like simple things. And I'm thinking like, we need to have more of that mindset for the outdoors as well. Like, what do I already have that I can use for this purpose? Or is there something about this pack that I can alter to make it perfect for this? 
can I use the same pack for traveling and backpacking just by like pulling a few cinch cords? It's sitting down and figuring out like, what do you actually do when you're backpacking, when you're hiking, when you're kayaking, when you're doing anything outdoors? Like I'll often sit down before I pack for a trip and think, like work through every hour of that backpacking trip. Like, what am I going to do? I need something for hydration. I'm going to have to filter water at some point. I'm going to have to do this, this, and this. Okay. Like if I didn't have this, this specific bottle, could I still use this bottle over here? And if so, what could I use to filter? Do I need a special squeeze bag to use for my filter? Or can I use this other collapsible water bottle that I already own? You know, honestly, it's, I think it's more of a mindset getting into this thing where you like trick your brain into almost playing a game, you know, like how clever can I be here to a not spend any more money, (laughs) right? Because like you said, outdoor gear can be really expensive, but B, like not create any more waste or buy products needlessly. So very much just like a, do you ask yourself repeatedly, do you really need it? What could you use instead that you already have? Like, how can you get creative in using other gear instead of buying something new? I think that's a big part of it. It's just mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, one of the seven R's of outdoor minimalism is rethink. And I think Mm -hmm. to me, (laughs) that is one of the most important and impactful when I am making those considerations because you have to stop and ask yourself several questions and not only like you are saying where it's like, do I already have something that can fulfill this need, but also like truly identifying how you would use it and when you're going to use it and the frequency at which you will use it. Because sometimes you see something and just because it's new or something like that, and you're like, oh, maybe I want to try that activity and you use it one time and then, and then what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think renting gear is always a really great option, especially if you're new to the outdoors. That'll give you an idea of what you like, what you don't like, what you need, what you don't need. But yeah, you said something that like made me think of something really, really like solid and clever and, and I've lost it. So oh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it'll come back if it comes back. Yeah. yeah but one of my primary backpacking partner is my oldest friend. And the first backpacking trip she ever came on with me, I remember she just borrowed like a whole set of backpacking stuff other than the clothes that she wore from one of her friends that had backpacked several times and they happened to be like a similar size. And then that was kind of like her way to be like, I don't know if I actually like this or not, but like, I'll go with you because we're friends. And now we do it several times a year together, which is great. But it gave her a chance to try the activity without having to buy anything new and also be able to try out a product to see if that was like fitting for her because she ended up not buying that brand of backpack because she realized that doesn't really fit me that well. So yes, I love that approach. Yeah. And I mean, we always on Teardrift were like, borrow it, you know, rent it, buy it used, like do something, don't make the big investment, don't buy all the new gear until you know that you like it. But it's also part of why we do the reviews the way we do them on Teardrift, which is, you know, like talking about how they fit and not only how they fit me, but how they would fit you if you're this type of person or like a hiking boot. Okay, well, I like these because I like barefoot shoes with a wide toe box. But if you like arch support and aggressive tread, you would like these, you know, like we want people to make one purchase that's right for them as opposed to (laughs) 10 purchases that are wrong. And now they have like 
10 items that they don't like or aren't comfortable or they can't use. And it's just sitting collecting dust or it's going to end up in a landfill. And that's just no good. We don't like that. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like you have a lot, you've already mentioned like several things that can be, are really helpful and that are tangible, like, like things that we can do when we are looking for new gear or shopping, but do you have any other resources or I guess tips for people that want to be more mindful when they are shopping or recreating? Absolutely. I think the first one is to make your gear work for you. I think with, for example, sleeping bags, which we reviewed some like this winter, you go winter backpacking, you know, like we do once or twice a season. And so people go out and buy a zero degree bag for like one time and maybe they don't even like it. And so they're not going to go winter backpacking again next year. Whereas if you already have a 45 degree bag and a 35 degree bag, well, there you go. You've already got your winter camping bag. You layer one inside the other and it's maybe a bit bulkier than a zero degree bag, but you didn't have to buy anything extra. You know, like what can you strap on the outside of your backpack to keep you from having to buy a bigger backpack? That sort of thing. Like, okay, you want hip belt pockets. Well, what if you just added a hip pack? Like if you already have a hip pack in your closet, throw a hip pack on if your backpack doesn't have a hip belt with pockets and you want a pocket (laughs) that's easily accessible. So there's that. But we also absolutely advocate for buying used gear. So places like geartrade.com, I mean, like I go on there all the time if I'm looking for something specific that I need, like I'm going to see if I can buy it used first or, you know, Facebook marketplace. I'm frequently surprised by what I find on there or I love the garage sale section or what do they call it now? The resale or something (laughs) section at REI. It used to be Mm. the garage sale. You could buy. Oh, like good and used. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, it was gear that had been used and returned sometimes with damage, (laughs) sometimes not, but you could like, I got a used big Agnes tent for like half the retail price because it had a tiny hole in it. I put a 50 cent patch on it and it's fixed. And I've been using that tent for years, but stuff like that, like look for used gear that maybe needs some love, but somebody else wasn't willing to give it that love, but you can. Patch it, wash it, rewaterproof it, you know, whatever, whatever needs done. And you find yourself some really good gear that way. So that's, that's definitely a resource I recommend REI gear trade. I think a couple of specific brands are also catching on and adding used sections to their website. So always check for that and see if you can buy something used like Warnware on Patagonia's website. Yeah, I have seen some where in their clearance, like on their website, if you go to their clearance section, they'll have like refurbished Mm, items as well. And those tend to be like highly discounted, which I like. Mm -hmm. I like a discount as well. Yes, (laughs) it's a good time. Gear is expensive. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Awesome. So I will be sure to share the links to some of those resources that you just shared, as well as some of the other areas where I like to find used gear. But how can listeners learn more about you and check out some of your reviews from TerraDrift? Oh, they should definitely go to TerraDrift.com, which is full of all the things. There are tons of gear reviews. There are like lists of our favorite things from hiking sandals to hiking boots to insulated jackets. And then it 
it's youtube.com slash drift. So we have our whole YouTube channel, which is again, a lot of gear reviews, a lot of how to's, you know, if you're new to the outdoors or not, like we have one on tying your hiking boots that I'm still surprised that before shooting that, I didn't know how to tie hiking boots better. <laughs> so um, lots of stuff like that, lots of destination guides, you know, ideas for where to hike and where to explore and where you might want to travel to, you know, play outside. So, and of course we're on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook at Terra Drift on all of them. So yeah, you can definitely follow along with all of our adventures. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I for sure will. And I will also be sharing in the show notes, all of the links to those Terra Drift locations. <laughs> but with that, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on here and share your expertise in the world of outdoor gear. Absolutely. Always happy to chat about gear. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book, on YouTube, or subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com. For even more updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with the shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.